Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. It's becoming clear that the crash that night was not just a deadly coincidence. The lead starts right now. Breaking just minutes ago. A U.S. official now giving CNN details about how Iran shot down a passenger jet packed with innocent people as the U.K. says there's a body of information to back up this belief. While the pressure mounts on Speaker Pelosi to send the articles of impeachment to the Senate, a new move by the majority leader McConnell, which might result in no impeachment trial at all. Plus, the tab for protecting the Trumps when they travel. Why doesn't the White House want you to see how much the Secret Service is spending of taxpayer dollars until after the election. This is CNN Breaking News. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper. We start today with breaking news in our world lead. Multiple U.S. officials and the prime ministers of Canada and the U.K. are all now saying intelligence indicates the passenger plane that crashed in Iran Wednesday morning, killing all 176 people on board, was shot down by Iran, possibly accidentally. The British Prime Minister saying just minutes ago there was a, quote, body of information showing an Iranian surface-to-air missile brought down that passenger plane. Brand new video sent to CNN purports to show a missile fired into the sky and striking an object right around the time that Ukrainian Airlines flight crashed. CNN is trying but has not yet independently verified the authenticity of the video. And another new video purporting to show the fiery moment that Ukrainian Airlines flight hit the ground just minutes after taking off from the Tehran airport. Our correspondents are covering the story from every angle, including on the ground in Iran. But we're going to start with CNN's Alex Marquardt, who has new reporting about how this plane full of civilians may have been shot down by accident. In the wake of the tragic Ukrainian plane crash in Iran, U.S. and allied officials now saying Iran shot it down with two Russian-made surface-to-air missiles, killing all 176 people on board. Most of the victims were from Iran, Ukraine, and Canada. We have intelligence from multiple sources, including our allies and our own intelligence. The evidence indicates that the plane was shot down by an Iranian surface-to-air missile. This may well have been unintentional. Wednesday's crash coming just hours after the Iranian regime launched over a dozen missiles at U.S. forces inside Iraq. President Trump today agreeing it was unlikely that the Boeing 737 was brought down due to a mechanical failure. It was flying in a pretty rough neighborhood and somebody could have made a mistake. Uh, Some people say it was mechanical. I personally don't think that's uh, even a question. Eyewitness video shows a fireball believed to be the plane going down, a huge blast as it hits the ground. A U.S. official familiar with the intelligence tells CNN that the two missiles were Russian SA-15s, a surface-to-air missile. The U.S. saw Iranian radar signals lock onto the jetliner before it was shot down. Minutes after taking off early Wednesday morning, the plane had turned back to the Tehran airport, but never made it. 
So far, Iran has refused to hand over the plane's black boxes. The fact that the pilots were very experienced, the fact that they'd flown this route before, uh, all of these things uh, seem to play into the idea that, uh, that some external force uh, may have forced the aircraft down. Today, mourners gathered at the airport in Ukraine's capital, where the plane was due to land. Rows of portraits of the dead and a flood of tears. The Ukrainian mother of a pilot crying. He was my only son. Now I'm all by myself. Ukraine, for its part, has not yet said that the plane was brought down by Iran. They have sent a team to Tehran to carry out an investigation. They've also asked the British and Canadians to help them. Now, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky has thanked the Iranians for access and for their cooperation. And he does say, Jake, that he expects the team to get access to the plane's black boxes. Jake. Alex Marquardt with the latest. Minutes ago, Iran announced it was inviting the U.S. to be present while it investigates the crash. CNN senior international correspondent Fred Pleiken is live in the capital city of Tehran. Fred, what does that mean for the next steps in this investigation? Mm. Well, it means that the U.S. uh, could send a representative here, specifically Boeing could send a representative here. It's interesting because the Iranian news agency, uh, Jake, that put that report out, the farce news agency, said that Boeing had allegedly already designated a representative, but there might be problems with sending that representative because of the international sanctions uh, against Iran. Uh, We've also reached out to Boeing itself. We're still waiting to see what sort of answer there could be. Meanwhile, however, the investigation, of course, is moving forward. Uh, We were actually able to get in touch with the head of Iran's Civil Aviation Authority, which, of course, is the body that would oversee such an investigation. And we confronted him with that information that we've been getting from the intelligence services saying that uh, the Iranians may have shot that plane down. He didn't deny that that could be the case. However, he did say that he had doubts about whether it was the case. He said that uh, if the plane had been hit by a missile, it would go down immediately, just fall from the sky, and that it wouldn't attempt or the pilot wouldn't uh, have been able to attempt to fly back to Imam Khomeini Airport. So trying to cast some doubt there on the information, but again, not flat out denying that Iran, uh, an Iranian missile could have taken down that plane. As far as the black boxes are concerned, I think there's something that's really important, Jake. The Iranians are saying that they have the capability to read those black boxes. However, they are saying one of those black boxes is damaged and they're not sure whether they can read it. They claim that tomorrow, Iranian inspectors and Ukrainian inspectors, which Alex just said in his report are already on the ground here, are going to try and get the information from those black boxes together. However, they also say, the Iranians, that uh, because these boxes are damaged, that might be impossible. And then they might ask the French or the Canadians for help. Jake. All right. Fred Pleitkin in Tehran. Thank you so much. Be safe. Joining me now is CNN's Richard Quest, who covers aviation. Richard, now that a U.S. official has confirmed a cause, now that we've heard this from uh, the British uh, and the Canadians, how important is it to learn what's on the black box? It is very important in the sense that you have the data, you will be able to see what immediately happened to the aircraft when the explosion, if it is, took place. But, uh, but, but, uh, Jake, I think more important even than the black boxes, because they won't tell you why. The most important thing is the wreckage. The wreckage, the physical wreckage, and forgive the indelicacy, the the remains of those who were on board. Because they will have the explosive residue that will confirm what happened. But in all of this, there's a much, much easier way to determine what took place. 
The Iranians can simply admit if they did, if it was their missile that brought down the plane. Otherwise, everybody else will be scrambling for pieces of evidence to prove it. Before the crash, the FAA had banned American airlines from flying over Iraq and Iran, saying they could be misidentified. This has happened before. Should, should other countries and airlines have followed suit? Or, or at the very least, should they have been warned? Most have. Uh, only a few airlines do actually sort of generally fly over Iran or Iraq. In the last couple of days, of course, I've seen <coughs> confidential notes from one particular European airline, which now makes it clear they will not be going anywhere near Iran or Iraq, even if that means they now have to make refueling stops on the way back to counter the adverse winds, which, of course, uh, that they will be facing. Nobody wants to take any risks anymore. It will be a question that will be asked legitimately why Ukraine International decided it was safe to take off from that airport only hours after military activity in the country. Why didn't they cancel the flight? Richard Question, Beirut, Lebanon. Thank you so much. Any moment, the House of Representatives is expected to vote on a resolution that would curb President Trump's ability to go to war with Iran without congressional approval, but could this stop him? from striking Iran, then President Trump undoing a policy that's been in place for 50 years. Why it could impact the air you breathe and the water you drink. Stay with us. In the past, many Americas... And we're back with breaking news in the politics lead. The House of Representatives is about to vote to limit the powers of President Trump to wage war on Iran in response to the deadly strike he ordered to kill the regime's top general, Qasem Soleimani. Mr. Trump once again today defending the White House's claim of an imminent threat used to justify the operation, which has come under bipartisan criticism because the administration has not publicly or privately presented enough credible evidence, according to several lawmakers. We did it because they were looking to blow up our embassy. We also did it for other reasons that were very obvious. Somebody died. One of our military people died. People were badly wounded just a week before. And we did it. And we had a shot at him, and I took it. CNN's Phil Manningly is on Capitol Hill. Phil, does this resolution have legislative teeth, or is this just a symbolic vote? Yeah, Jake, I think the best way to probably view it is a political message designed to try and shape the administration's policy. Look, is it going to immediately stop the president's ability to create hostilities or declare hostilities with Iran? No, it is not. But what Democrats hope and what they believe will be a bipartisan vote, and what you just heard Speaker Nancy Pelosi on the floor a short while ago try and underscore, is based on their concerns over the course of the last couple of days, concerns only amplified by the bipartisan criticism related to classified briefings yesterday, is that they believe the administration needs to to know that if they want to take action, they should at least consult with Congress. If they want to go further with any of their actions related to Iran, they certainly need to come to Congress. So is this going to change how the uh, president or the administration can operate related to Iran? No, not on its face. But Democrats hope that this will at least send a message, Jay. And Phil, uh, House Speaker Pelosi ha had a very blunt message for President Trump this morning. Yeah, no question about it. Look, I think a lot of the, the anger that you've seen from Democrats right now is about the relationship between the executive branch and the legislative branch. And spe the speaker certainly underscored that with this. Take a listen. We must avoid war. And the cavalier attitude of this administration, it, it's, it's, it's stunning. And the president to say, oh, I inform you by reading my tweets. No, that's not the relationship that our founders had in mind. 
Uh, Jake, obviously the relationship between the executive branch and the legislative branch as it relates to war powers is one that has been tense for decades and one the legislative branch has largely ceded over the course of those decades. But I think Democrats right now and some Republicans, we've certainly seen it over in the Senate, want to try and reassert some of their authority or at least make clear to the administration that they should be in the loop when these sorts of things start to take place, particularly if there's any expansion and it's not related to an imminent threat related to the president's Article II powers. That's what the speaker has tried to drive home. And you're going to see that not just in the House, but also over in the Senate as well in the weeks ahead, Jake. All right, Phil Manningly, thanks so much. Uh, let's chew over all this uh, with our panel. Before I do that, though, I want to just clarify something that President Trump said in that clip. He said that the Iranians were looking to blow up our embassy. When asked about it, the president clarified he was talking about when the Iranian-backed militias were storming the embassy. That is not a reference to the plan uh, that allegedly Soleimani was, uh, was taking up. Karen Finney, let me start with you. Take a listen to President Trump when asked whether he could, whether he would consult Congress before striking Iran again. It would all depend on the circumstance. I don't have to, and you shouldn't have to be able, because you have to make split-second decisions sometimes. Sometimes you have to move very, very quickly, John. But in certain cases, I wouldn't even mind doing it. I'm old enough to have covered the war, <laughs> war powers fight uh, yes. between Cong Republican Congressman Tom Campbell against Bill Clinton when it came to the uh, action in uh, the former Yugoslavia. Um, right. Take a listen. Uh, what do you what do you make of all that? Well, look, I think that's part of why we are here where we are today. I mean, both sides, Republican and Democratic presidents since about 1973, have ignored the responsibility to inform Congress. And there is really no intelligence that the gang of eight cannot hear and is not authorized to hear and that should be kept from them. So there's really no reason, particularly when you're talking about such an aggressive action. And, you know, this is part of the problem. There's two problems with this, right? This is what happens when you're a president with uh, over 15,000 lies. It's hard to know what to believe and what not to believe. And I appreciate the two Republican members of Congress who've come forward, but this is also why Congress has to take its role much more seriously as a watchdog, not a lapdog. And uh, take a listen, uh, Robin Wright, uh, to what House Speaker Pelosi, who is a member of the gang of eight, these, this elite group, bipartisan group of, of leaders of Congress, um, which got the full intelligence briefing. I do not believe in terms of what is in the public domain uh, that they have made the country safer by what they did. And that is what our responsibility is. It's very interesting that she used the phrase <laughs> what was in the public domain, because she's specifically only talking about what the public, the the administration has released and discussed publicly, she has seen much more than that. Yeah, and I think there's everyone's waiting to find out what were the specifics that justified this uh, military escalation. Uh, it's not just the safety of the United States, it's also the world, and we're seeing the unintended consequences now play out with the shooting down of the Ukrainian plane, that the rippling effect, the uncertainty, the insecurities will lead to unintended consequences that affect people who have nothing to do with this conflict at all. Uh, and and uh, an Iranian general said today that the strikes were not meant to kill Americans. Three U.S. officials told CNN their belief that it was the Iranians intentionally avoided uh, hitting U.S. troops. But Vice President Pence uh, doesn't buy it. He says there, there's evidence Iran was, in fact, trying to kill Americans. Take a listen. The ballistic missiles fired at American bases, the Al-Assad and Erbil, uh, we believe were intended to kill Americans. Uh, we have intelligence to support that that was the intention of the Iranians. 
What do you make of it? Because there's obviously a disagreement within the administration on this. Yeah, well, I think this is why there are members of Congress, including Republicans, who are so concerned because of all these contradictory mixed messaging that go back to last week when the U.S. first struck Soleimani. Um, You've had Mark Esper, Mike Pompeo, Mike Pence, Donald Trump, everyone push a different line here, shifting the goalposts. Uh, And, you know, it's why that is why you've seen Mike Lee come out yesterday and say that it's this is so concerning that there hasn't been enough evidence put forth to justify why the attack was imminent. And that even more troubling, perhaps, was the push for amongst Trump's uh, top allies to quell the debate going forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, David, uh, we should point out you work for Trump 2020. You're an advisor for the campaign. You're also a lobbyist who works on energy and defense companies. Um, I want you to take a listen uh, to the Republican chairman, uh, the Republic, ranking Republican on the House Judiciary Committee, as also former uh, U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley. One, they're in love with terrorists. We see that. They, they mourn Soleimani more than they mourn our Gold Star families who are the ones who suffered under Amazing. Soleimani. The only ones that are mourning the loss of Soleimani are our Democrat leadership and our That's Democrat sad. presidential candidates. We also heard Kevin McCarthy uh, say that Pelosi was defending Soleimani. Those are not you don't talk like that. Those are not arguments. They're, they're just kind of smears. Yeah, so look, I, I, again, I take great umbrage with uh, the speaker's er comments earlier that somehow this administration did this in a cavalier fashion. I don't think there was anything cavalier about how this was approached. I personally know Secretary Esper, General Milley, President, Secretary of State, the National Security Advisor. These are serious folks who weigh these things very seriously. We've had friends, relatives killed in in these conflicts, right? So there's nothing cavalier about any of this that being done. So for the speaker to use that language, it it, it is incredibly offensive. Number two, for her to say that America is less safe because Soleimani no longer exists on this planet is also, it's it's, it's not plausible. She She did. Go play play the audio again. I challenge you. Her argument that it's less safe safe. to take such an action without a plan. She said it's less safe. She said it's less safe. So I am saying that what, what, what they're saying is that she, she needs to be careful about her words. When you, words matter. What, what about? So I, listen, what about I, don't, I, don't, I don't. Listen, I don't condone that. I think. I think there, there needs to be a full-throated debate. And I said this before on many occasions on the authorization of use of military force. I said that when we went into Syria. Yeah, you've been saying it for years. Because, because, because it is it is incumbent upon this country when we send our young men and women into harm's way that we have a full-throated debate and we understand what our objectives are by doing that. Now, do I think the president was authorized to take this action he currently did? Absolutely. Under Article two. And I do believe there is imminent. There is some imminent nature here. Mm. You saw this. You saw the Iraqi militia general outside uh, outside the, the embassy, which everyone was very concerned may right. fall. Right? You, dis- you, you disagree that Collins and Haley said what they said. I, I don't think that I don't think that's helpful. So let me ask you a question, because the New York Times is reporting that the CIA director, Gina Haspel, looked at the assessment of um, Attacking Soleimani, does killing him, is it more dangerous or less dangerous for Americans? Because that's, that, that's, that's the question. Because obviously he's killing Americans, he has killed Americans, but then there's also what happens when, you, when the United States kills such a person. I mean, Putin has American blood in his hands, but we don't kill him because of the repercussions. Um, that's really where the debate was. And the problem is that eliminating one man or two men in this case is not going to change a very deep bench that Iran has in striking American interests. And he was interest. replaced immediately. And yeah. it replaced immediately, and Iran has been doing this for 40 years. We've seen them, whether it's attacking American embassies in the 1980s. I mean, we have a long litany. To think that eliminating one man, yes, he was larger than life, charismatic, mythical in terms of his capabilities, but this is not going to change 
what Iran has, and it may change what Iran does. So that's the debate. Well, absolutely. But I think we have to go back to, I mean, David, obviously, I disagree with you vehemently because we have a situation where, I mean, I had a member of Congress say to me this weekend, I said, are you looking forward to the briefing this week? And this person said, you know what? I learned more from CNN than I have ever learned from these briefings in the last three years. And Turns out that was exactly what this person said to me yesterday. They learn more from what is in the public domain. You had two Republican senators come out and say, number one, the president is trying. The argument the administration is making is that by having a public debate, somehow we're we are uh, emboldening the enemy. That is shameful language. We are so you what you hold on, David, to what you just said. If we are sending young men and women into harm's way, they deserve to know I, I why disagree. they're going and what's the plan. We've done yeah. that before, yeah, and we know where that ends. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. I think there should be a full throw. I think we should have a vote on a new authorization to use the military force. I think we should have a really uh, – this, this has been going on. The same basic authorization to use military force was, has been in place – and not really examined and not voted. And listen, but then shame why on the didn't Congress. this listen, president have a right, have a responsibility to do that? Why no, no, did he because, not? Because he's covered. And he couldn't they feel, even they feel, explain listen, yesterday what the imminent cl- threat was. They feel he it's has clearly covered. No proof. Karen, they feel it's clearly covered under Article Two, as well as. What is as, the, as what well, the as well, I mean, you had Mike Pompeo so, so, go on so, Jake's show on Sunday and say that it doesn't matter to Americans in the region whether or not it was imminent. It's a matter of months or days. It's the same thing. Well, I think the important so, thing so, here is so, I dispute so, your, character, it, your so, characterization of what Pelosi said about Soleimani. The, the, I think the most important thing here is that the war-weary public overwhelmingly believes that the president acted recklessly and has put the oh, U.S. in increasing danger, according to a USA Today poll released this morning. Who would have thought in 2001 that we, were to, we would be talking about a war two decades later in yet a third country? I think Americans really want some kind of accountability, want to make sure that there is that this whole process is thought through. Where are we going to war? Why we're we going to war? Uh, but, but, for how long? I, it, and who's funding it? This, this is, is this you is said that, in a third country. It's it, it's more than that, right? Because <laughs> right. the same authorization yeah, I mean, the has been Iraq. used to uh, yeah. Iraq, Iraq, and Afghanistan. Yeah. But then you also have Syria. You also have yeah. Libya. Not right. to mention, but this is uh, the right. horn. Uh, you know, the, but this in, is the point of the AUMF. This is the point of the AUMF. Right. That, that I agree. But but to, to say that we're not safer somehow that, that, that by taking out Soleimani yeah. is. I think is is. I think we all agree. Soleimani was a bad guy. Everyone stick around. Everyone stick around. Coming up next, proof of the attack. CNN is on the scene where Iran's missiles blew up. Stay with us. In our world lead today, perhaps the missiles were just the opening salvo. Despite President Trump saying that Iran appears to be backing down, a commander in Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps is publicly warning that this week's attack was just the beginning, vowing a quote harsher revenge for the death of top Iranian general Qasem Soleimani. CNN's Clarissa Ward is on the ground for us in Iraq. And Clarissa, you visited the site of where one of those Iranian missiles hit in Iraq. Do we know exactly what the target of that missile was? Well, the question we were trying to answer, Jake, was this question as to what exactly the Iranians were trying to do with these strikes, whether they were trying to send a message or whether they were were trying to uh, actually kill people, create casualties, as some officials in the U.S. administration have suggested. We went to this very rural area about an hour and a half outside of the city where I am now, Erbil. We found the site where one of those missiles had hit, local security officials telling us there's nothing in that area, no U.S. presence, uh, nothing to see at all, really, except a refugee camp uh, just under a mile away. Take a quick look at what we saw. This is where one of the missiles hit, and you can see this area of impact. And if you go through some of these small craters, 
you can also find some shrapnel from where the missile hit. Now, of course, it's entirely possible, Jake, that the missile just did not go off where it was supposed to, that the missiles are perhaps not quite as sophisticated as the Iranians would like to have the world believe they are. And more broadly speaking, this is still an important strategic area for the U.S. Uh, the Kurdish areas in the north of Iraq are where all the special operations uh, in the fight against ISIS have been conducted from. But still, it was interesting to see that it was essentially a pile of dirt with some shrapnel in the middle of nowhere, Jake. Hmm. Clarissa, this Iranian commander's comments, it seems to be contradicting what other Iranian leaders are saying about the missile attack. They said that it was not intended to kill anyone. That's right. I mean, we're getting mixed messages on all sides. Everybody has their line of rhetoric that they're trying to push. And at the end of the day, the proof will be in the pudding, so to speak. Uh, I think we're going to see protests now starting in Baghdad against the foreign presence or the presence of foreigners, particularly Americans. Iran is likely to continue to try to really drive a wedge between the Iraqis and the U.S. as it tries to fulfill its vow to push the U.S. out of this region entirely. That obviously is not going to be an easy thing to do, but you can be sure, Jake, that it's not going to be done also through traditional methods, that Iran will be relying on its proxies. And this could take many months, if not years, Jake. All right, Clarissa Ward and Erbil Iraq, thank you. Stay safe. Publicly, House Speaker Pelosi is not saying when she will hand over the articles of impeachment. But behind closed doors, that could be a different story. Stay with us. And in the dark of night, eventually. The politics lead House Speaker Nancy Pelosi today dismissing public calls by fellow Democrats and standing by her decision to keep holding on to the two articles of impeachment against President Trump. In her view... And despite all evidence to the contrary as as of yet, the articles continue to give her leverage to force Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell to commit to a fair Senate trial, as CNN's Caitlin Collins reports. I'm not responsible to Mitch McConnell. Facing pressure from even her own party, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi once again rebuffed growing calls to send the articles of impeachment to the Senate. No, I'm not holding them indefinitely. I'll send them over when I'm ready. And that will probably be soon. Pelosi said she's waiting on the majority leader, Mitch McConnell, to announce the trial rules so she can choose which House members will prosecute the Democrats' case. Is that too much to ask? The House voted and passed the two articles before Christmas, but Pelosi has declined to send them to the Senate with hopes of pressuring Republicans to call witnesses and demand documents that the House never saw. You will keep asking me the same question. I keep giving you the same answer. Now even some Democrats say it's clear McConnell isn't going to budge, and it's time to move forward. Like Congressman Adam Smith, a Democrat who leads the House Armed Services Committee, and urged this on CNN today. Yes, I think it is time to send um, the impeachment to the Senate and let Mitch McConnell be responsible uh, for the fairness of the trial. He ultimately is. Less than three hours later, Smith walked that statement back, saying he misspoke. And if the speaker believes that holding on to the articles for a longer time will help force a fair trial in the Senate, then I wholeheartedly support that decision. Today, President Trump said he'd leave it up to McConnell on whether to call witnesses. But if it were up to him, I would like to hear Hunter Biden, Joe Biden, Adam Shifty Schiff uh, and some others. Democrats want to call former National Security Adviser John Bolton. But if he does show up, today Trump signaled the White House may try to restrict what he'll say. We have to protect presidential privilege. 
When we start allowing national security advisors to just go up and say whatever they want to say, we can't do that. Now, Jake, Nancy Pelosi isn't telling anybody when she's going to send these articles of impeachment over, not even her own chairman in a meeting this morning, though we should note that Republicans, for their part during their lunch today, guessed that those articles could be sent over by the end of the week and that trial could be started by next week, though John Cornyn warned that is all just speculation. Just speculation. Caitlin Collins, thanks so much. Let's bring in Democratic Senator Maisie Hirono of Hawaii. She's on the Senate Judiciary Committee. Senator, thanks for joining us. As always, do, do you see any advantage for Speaker Pelosi to continue to hold on to the articles of impeachment at this point? I'm not second-guessing anything that Nancy Pelosi does, and she said today that the articles will be sent to the Senate soon. Meantime, here we are in the Senate working very hard and arguing for a fair trial, which means that we should have relevant witnesses and relevant documents, something that Mitch McConnell is doing his very best. He's doing his darndest to make sure that doesn't happen. So, Jake, you know, just as the president uh, tried to rig his election by shaking down the president of another country for his own political purposes, this Senate trial is being rigged by the president uh, through Mitch McConnell to not call any witnesses or provide any documents. Well, on, on that topic, uh, Majority Leader McConnell signed on to legislation from Senator Josh Hawley, Republican of Missouri, that, that would allow for a vote to dismiss uh, any articles of impeachment if they don't arrive from the House uh, within 25 days of the House vote. What do you make of that? That is all part and parcel of the Republicans' desire to not have a fair trial. So I see it as yet another distraction, another attempt to stonewall. Meanwhile, what we're faced with is, and what the trial is going to be about, is whether it's okay for the president to do what he did regarding Ukraine. And so that's something they don't want to face. And I am waiting for the president to mount a defense for the trial that is going to occur in the Senate. And I would like him to do that because, you know, if the, mounting a defense means producing evidence. So he calls this process a witch hunt and all of that. That's not evidence. That's just what I call rhetorical nothing burgers. So, so meanwhile, we actually want evidence, facts, and Mitch doesn't want to go along with that. And he's doing what the president wants. When the president says he's leaving it up to Mitch, oh, give me a break. Because at the very beginning, Mitch said he's just going to talk to the president to get his marching orders from the president. House Intelligence uh, Committee Chairman Adam Schiff told CNN uh, that the Intelligence Committee in the House has no plans to hear or subpoena uh, testimony from John Bolton ahead of the Senate impeachment trial. He says there's little to be gained by going that route. Uh, do you disagree? Should the House subpoena Bolton? Because it doesn't look like there's any guarantee the Senate will. The thing is, Jake, that there will be times when the Senate is going to have to vote on whether or not uh, they're going to go along with not having any witnesses. There will be motions. There will be uh, a couple of votes where the senators are going to go on record as to whether or not witnesses should be called or documents should be produced. So... Regardless of uh, where Mitch McConnell wants to go to totally stonewall and uh, not face the, the, what the president did, uh, the senators are going to go on record, including some very vulnerable Republican senators. And let's face it, the majority of the American people want a trial that is fair. That means calling relevant witnesses and getting relevant documents. Do you think, um, well, take a listen to what... Uh what we've been hearing this week, Republican Congressman Doug Collins, the ranking Republican on the House Judiciary Committee, said that Democrats criticizing uh, the strike on General Soleimani, quote, are in love with terrorists. 
And we also heard from the former U.S. ambassador to the U.N., Nikki Haley. Uh, take a listen. The only ones that are mourning the loss of Soleimani are our Democrat leadership. What do you make of all that? It's pretty sad how low the Republicans will uh, stoop because nobody is mourning the death of Soleimani, including, of course, the Democrats. Those are just lies, but uh, I figure they've entered the moral dead zone. That is the Trump White House. All right, Democratic Senator Maisie Hirono, thank you so much mm -hmm. for your time thank today. You. Appreciate it. Protecting the president and his family, not cheap, but the Trump administration wants to wait until after the election to tell you how much it costs. Find out why next. In our money lead today, the Trump administration is, at least for now, refusing to share with the American people just how much taxpayers are spending for Secret Service protection for President Trump and his family when they travel. Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin is heading the effort to keep that information secret at least until after Election Day 2020, as first reported by The Washington Post. CNN's Tom Foreman now takes a closer look at how this fits a Trump administration pattern of withholding such information from the public. Trips by the president to his resorts in Florida, Virginia, and New Jersey. Trips by the first lady, his children, and more in his circle. All of it requires Secret Service protection, and now congressional Democrats want routine reporting about how much that costs taxpayers. But hold on. Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin is negotiating to have the public price tag kept private until after the election this fall. His office says it's part of legislative negotiations to return the Secret Service from Homeland Security to Treasury. Secret Service is fantastic. These are fantastic people. Still, the secret numbers could be big. The Washington Post cites documents showing the government spent about $96 million on travel by Obama over eight years. While with the current large first family, Trump's travel cost $13.6 million in just one month in 2017. By CNN's count, Trump has spent nearly one-third of his presidency away from the White House. And while he vowed he'd never golf as much as his predecessor... He played more golf last year than Tiger Woods. I'm going to be working for you. I'm not going to have time to go play golf. The president has spent 257 days at a Trump golf club, often without disclosing whether he played golf or who he played with. And as for his pledge to always be open about what he was doing and where and why... I have been the most transparent president and administration in the history of our country by far. Trump has still not released his tax returns. There have been no regular White House briefings in almost a year. And of course, numerous administration figures have been ordered not to talk to Congress about the impeachment probe. Just some of the items that are fueling Democratic demands for at least a better accounting of Trump's travels. Still, the Treasury Department is bristling at this, saying the timeline Democrats want to reveal these costs for Secret Service protection is purely political, that all they want to do is hang an unfair price tag around the president's neck right before the big vote. Jake? Well, unfair is in the eye of the beholder. It is, is in fact, the number is what the number is. What's the normal amount of time an administration takes to report these figures? Normally, this would be reported in December. The problem is that hasn't happened for a couple of years anyway. They've had various explanations or excuses as to why they haven't reported the cost. Bottom line, it comes down to this. Democrats are saying, yeah, it's a big number. It's a big family. The public ought to know. The White House is saying, maybe you ought to know, but you're not going to know before the vote if they can prevent it. All right, Tom Foreman, thank you so much. President Trump reversing a policy that has been in place for 50 years, and it could have consequences for the health of your children and your grandchildren and even you. Stay with us. 
In our national lead now, President Trump announced today that he is weakening environmental rules so he can make it easier for major projects such as bridges, highways, mines, or pipelines to be built. The administration proposing major changes to a 50-year-old environmental protection law, which they say will speed up the construction process, but environmental experts warn easing those regulations could also speed up the effects of climate change as agencies will no longer have to consider the effects of their projects on matters such as gas emissions or rising sea levels or climate change. CNN's Drew Griffin uh, joins me now. Drew, uh, why is this change significant? Well, I mean, it's a huge gift, especially to the energy industry, because just as you said, that whole climate change science issue is basically going to be off the table for these individual permits for those projects. In other words, if you can't directly say that this tiny project here where we're going to drill, we're going to build, we're going to do anything is going to affect the climate then you don't have to study the climate. Secondly, it's just going to make everything faster, Jake. Two years or less for big projects, one year or less for uh, smaller projects. Uh, You know, by design, that just means less study, less scientific research is going to go into whether or not there's going to be any environmental impacts from these projects moving forward. And Drew, the the Interior Secretary, David Bernhardt, we should point out, he's a, a former top lobbyist for the oil and gas industry is he, in, in doing this, in, in heralding this and, and helming this, is he carrying out what his former employers would want him to do? Ab- absolutely. This is the granddaddy of them all uh, in terms of what Bernhardt has been doing. And we should also mention Andrew Wheeler, the former uh, coal lobbyist who's working at the EPA, heading the EPA. These guys both were lobbyists for the energy industry. There have been smaller rule changes ever since the Trump administration came in, kind of nipping and picking at these environmental rules. This is the granddaddy. This is what they've been really working for, which is to get a lot of the cumbersome, as they view it, EPA process out of the way so they can get their projects moving. And, you know, there may be uh, some urgency in this as they look towards what could potentially be the end of the Trump administration. They want to get this on the books this year. Is it a done deal? Can, Can anything be done to stop these rule changes? They will file this in the federal registry, uh, 60 days comment period. During that time, environmental groups all across the country are already threatening to do everything they can. Uh, One, the Natural uh, Resource Defense Council says everything in our toolbox uh, to stop this from taking place. Look for this to head to courts. All right, Drew Griffin, thank you so much. Uh, You can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, at Jake Tapper. You can tweet the show at the lead CNN. Our coverage on CNN continues right now. Thanks for watching. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So, you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.